Well, welcome again to Intown Community Church. Uh, I feel a bit new here because uh, Trisha and I were on sabbatical for a couple months in the United Kingdom and uh, this summer. So it's great to see everyone again and, and good to see old friends like the Slaters and make some new friends already this morning. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about something this morning that may be a painful memory for some of you. It may stir up some controversy. Um, Atlanta is where the Coca-Cola company is headquartered, of course, right? And uh, some of us are old enough to remember New Coke when it came out and kind of divided the Coke world into two two parties, right? The new Coke fans and those who were the fans of what eventually became known as Coca-Cola Classic, right? So not the new one. But in 1985, this guy came out, sort of an attempt to uh, change the formula. Um, The new one versus the original one. Now, what does that have to do with this little letter in the New Testament called 1 John? Well, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, uh, was younger than the rest of uh, the disciples of Jesus. He lived much longer. He's the only one, as far as we know, of those 12 apostles who died a natural death. He died in his 90s, maybe even lived as long as 100 years old. And so about 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle John is in an area that today we would call Turkey in a city called Ephesus. And uh, he's still going strong in ministry. He's in his 80s. Um, And in his city, a trend is developing. There are some leaders saying, we need a new Jesus because he's better than the original Jesus. And John's uh, church members there in Ephesus, now he probably wasn't the pastor just of one congregation, but oversaw multiple congregations in that city and in that area. They were beginning to ask things like, hey, these, these leaders following the new Jesus, the new and improved Jesus, not the original one, um, they're leaving our churches to start new ones. Should we go with them? Should we follow them? And if we don't, are we going to miss out on something? So John writes this little letter to warn people that he loves. You'll hear him address them as dear children, people he loves. He's warning them. The people who are telling you you can advance beyond Jesus to something new and improved are not Christians at all. In fact, they're anti-Christians. John will call them antichrists. And he says, they're trying to deceive you and lead you astray. And then he's calling these people he dearly loves to remain loyal to Jesus. Now, he's going to use the phrase remain in because that's language he heard from Jesus himself. If you read John's gospel, you hear that language. And he's reminding these dear children whom he loves, and he's reminding us, what is it about Jesus that does what we were just singing about? I need something that will draw out my heart to thee. My heart is like a turtle, Jesus. (laughs) It likes to hide from the real you, and I need to know what it is about you that draws me out again 
so that I would never want to advance beyond you, so that I would love the true you and not need a new and improved anything in addition to or besides you. John is writing for all those reasons. Peter's going to come read to us about it now. A scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 and 24 through 27. Dear children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now the an many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. As for you, what you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain too in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him remains in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you everything, and it is true, it is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Let's take a minute and pray together. Jesus, uh, we are like spiritual turtles. Uh, we see light from your face and, and we shrink back from it so often where we get a taste of your goodness and glory in one area of life, and then we pull back because we're kind of afraid of what, it, what might happen if it got a hold of the rest of us. Um, this morning, draw us out into your light. Some of us have seen that light before. We are followers of yours, and we have been for a long time, but we've been shrinking back. Call us to yourself again. Some of us have never known you. We've always thought you were just a myth or a legend. And um, we need to take you seriously for the first time ever today. And some of us are somewhere in between. Send your Holy Spirit to do powerful work in every heart and life. It will be for your glory if we are changed. And it will be for the good of our neighbors if we are changed to know your love and to be transformed by it. So that's the power we pray for this morning. Amen. So for about 17 years, oops, there we go. Anybody remember that one? It didn't live very long, right? So eventually New Coke was rebranded as Coke 2 because New Coke was such a bust, right? So we can't keep calling it that because it makes so many people hate it. But for 17 years, you 
you had to make a choice if someone said, stay loyal to Coke. 1985 when New Coke was introduced to 2002 when it was finally just retired forever, maybe. <laughs> For 17 years, if somebody said, you need to stay loyal to Coke, you could have asked which one? Which Coke? The new one or the original one? I want to stay loyal to it, but which one's the real one? John says, remain in him. That's the last phrase of the last verse that Peter read for us this morning. Remain in him. Remain in Jesus. We'll get there in a minute. Remain in Jesus. But which Jesus? Remain in Jesus. Continue to let Jesus shape you and transform you and pour his life into your life so that you are changed. Okay, but which Jesus is doing it? Is, is it the original Jesus that we've been hearing about from John and other apostles and, and other uh, writers of the New Testament who knew Jesus and, and saw him and sat with him and touched his resurrected body? Is it that Jesus that we're remaining in? Or is it the new and improved Jesus that the uh, teachers who were in Ephesus in John's day were saying is the real Jesus. Stay loyal to Jesus. Okay, but which one? Well, so what I want to talk about this morning is um, what makes it tempting to us to advance beyond Jesus. What makes a kind of new Jesus appealing to us? And then what is it about Jesus as he really is that draws us back to him even when we're tempted to move beyond him? And what would a life of remaining in him actually look like? Those are the things we want to explore this morning. We'll start with that temptation. And uh, the first thing we have to do is to say um, all of us will be tempted in this way. Remember, if, if John were writing to people who would never, ever be tempted to listen to a message about a new and improved Jesus, he wouldn't have had to say anything about it. He wouldn't have had to say this is a problem because the problem would never have, have impacted them. Oh, you already love Jesus as he really is, so you're beyond this temptation. No. John is writing to people who really love Jesus. And he's saying, you will be tempted to advance to a new Jesus, maybe one day to advance beyond needing Jesus at all. And so this one whom you have loved will come to mean less and less to you over time. You're going to be tempted if you follow Jesus in this way at some point. Why? Because you don't want to miss out and you don't want to be pushed out. If there's something good in the world, we don't want to miss out on it. If new Coke is better than the original one, I don't want to miss it. So let me try it. <laughs> I don't want to miss it. That's just a natural human impulse. If there's something good and everybody else is getting it and you're not, you're like, I, I, that's bad. So that feeds into this temptation. Is there a new version of Jesus? Is there something better than Jesus? I don't want to miss out. And then you don't want to get pushed out. 
what if loving the original Jesus causes people to not like me? What if staying loyal to Jesus makes me less and less able to fit in with other people? I want them to like me. What if they start to push me out? Nobody wants to miss out. Nobody wants to get pushed out. That's why we're all going to experience this temptation. Because if you tell me I can avoid missing out and being pushed out by following a new version of Jesus or by giving up on Jesus and advancing beyond him to something else altogether, that's a deep pull and it's going to be hard to resist. Well, what was that like in the first century? So we know from ancient writings that there was a man named Corinthus who lived in the city of Ephesus in the second half of the first century, about the time that John was there uh, as pastor serving the church. And we know that this man, Corinthus, taught that there was a difference between the man Jesus and Christ the Redeemer. In fact, what he taught is that Christ the Redeemer descended down on Jesus, the man Jesus, when the man Jesus was baptized. So for 30 years or so, the man Jesus is just hanging out on the planet, just an ordinary human being like you and me. And then at his baptism, Christ the Redeemer descends on the man Jesus, and they're kind of twinned together for about three years. And then when the man Jesus is crucified, before he dies, Christ the Redeemer leaves, and it's only the man Jesus who dies on the cross, because Christ the Redeemer can't be killed, according to Corinthus. And so he's got this big distinction between a man called Jesus and Christ who comes to redeem us. What does Christ come to redeem us from? He comes to redeem us from thinking that the God of the Old Testament is the real God. And Corinthians said, that's the real Jesus. That's the new and improved, the advanced version of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to rescue you from being an unloving person who can't help loving yourself more than you love your neighbor. He didn't come to rescue you from that. He didn't come to rescue you from being a spiritual turtle who sees the real God and runs away, who loves counterfeit gods more than you love the real God. He didn't come to rescue you from loving comfort and peace and money and nationalism and sex more than you love God. He didn't come to rescue you from that. He came to rescue you from God. Well, you see what's happening is in the first century, people were remaking Jesus to fit the prevailing philosophy of the day. Plato had said several centuries before the New Testament that the body is evil. Everything physical is inferior. And so the man Jesus, if he has a body and he's physical, he's evil, he's inferior. Christ the Redeemer isn't physical, he's only spiritual. That's what Corinthus was saying. He wasn't saying it because it's true about Jesus. He was saying it because it's easier to believe the philosophy of the day than to believe the real Jesus. And so the temptation is to remake Jesus so that he fits well with what we already think is true. Otherwise, we might get pushed out by the people who believe the philosophy of the day. 
And there was an attempt to remake Jesus to appeal to broader audience. Look, the God of the Old Testament is known only to Israel, right? That's what Corinthus would have said. He's known only to Israelites, this tiny little nation from one little spot on the planet. And we want a Jesus who appeals to everyone. So we're going to get rid of this evil Old Testament God. How do we know he's evil? Because he created something physical. He made this planet. So he has to be bad because the physical is evil, right? None of this is true, but it's what, it's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to recraft Jesus so that he's easier to believe in our own day and thinking it will appeal to a broader audience. Well, anybody who believes in any God can believe in our new super hyper-spiritual God because he's not limited like the evil God of the Old Testament known only to the Israelites. See, we want a God who appeals to everyone. The irony, of course, is that Corinthus was saying, we're the elite tiny group of people who know the truth. So we want to appeal to everyone by saying only a few of us really get it. How are we going to be tempted to do this in the 21st century? There's not a guy named Corinthus showing up down the street saying, you know what, Pastor Jimmy's wrong. Stop listening to him. You know what, everything the Bible said about Jesus is wrong. I'm one of the elite few who knows the real truth. Come follow me. Shut down in town and let's start a new church. There's nobody doing that here in Atlanta. It doesn't sound like that. It doesn't look like that in our day. But there are plenty of people saying, we've advanced beyond the view of Jesus that the church has always held. A Jesus who really rose from the dead I have met plenty of pastors who would say, yeah, we've kind of advanced beyond the need for that kind of myth. If so, could you please be honest and just say you're not a Christian? If, if, you, if you don't believe in a Jesus who has to die because Jimmy Egan is so wicked and nothing else can solve his wickedness other than the Son of God taking on human flesh and blood and paying a price that Jimmy Egan can never pay. If you don't believe in that Jesus who rose again from the dead so that I wouldn't be stuck in my deadness but could experience a new life spiritually and one day when he returns, yes, physically, because the physical is not evil. If you don't believe in that kind of Jesus... You haven't advanced beyond to new and proved Jesus. You've gone beyond Jesus altogether. And ironically, this is not, new and improved Jesus is not going to appeal to a bigger audience. There are more people in the, the majority of people in the world today who embrace Jesus as he is presented in the scriptures are Asian, they are African, they live in Central and South America. Many of them are poor. Many of them are women. There's a tendency in the Western world to say, we're going to advance beyond this kind of narrow view of Jesus. And in doing so, what is being said by an elite few 
is all of those poor women in Africa and India who love Jesus, they're missing out. We're sitting over here in our Western advanced intellectual society and we're saying all of those people in underground churches in China, they don't know the real Jesus. We see it more clearly than they do. So what sounds like an attempt to broaden the appeal of Jesus to a wider audience is actually just an arrogant elitism that says we're going to push everybody else out of what it means to really be faithful to Jesus. It's a very tempting appeal, but it never really satisfies that deep fear that some people are going to be pushed out, some people are missing out. Jesus does really satisfy us. What is it about Jesus that will keep drawing us back to him? I thought of this during our sabbatical as something like the need to be re-enchanted. You know, when you, when you first encounter something wonderful, beautiful, glorious, and it grabs your heart and won't let go, and there's an enchantment. And then as you encounter it again and again and again and again and again, your heart is like, eh, so what? Big deal. And you need moments of re-enchantment. For me, one of those came uh, on a run. Um, it was a Sunday, and uh, we were on the coast of Cornwall, England, and Trisha had gone for a walk with these guys. Um, an uncomfortably close walk with these guys from the story I heard later. Uh, I wasn't walking with her. I was running along this path on the coast, and uh, photos just don't do it justice. But seeing scenery like that, I came over the top of a hill and uh, came to a gate. And for a moment, I just stood there, and I felt tears coming to my eyes because I, I, I just stood and thought for a moment Lord, you didn't have to share with me the privilege of being made in your image. You didn't have to share with me the privilege of being able to see beauty and enjoy it. You could have made me a rock or an animal who looked at that scenery and thought, I could build a good nest there. Who looked at that scenery and thought, maybe there's some grubs under the ground. I will go eat them. But I can look at that scenery and go, that is absolutely spectacular. I just want to enjoy it. I don't need to enjoy it as a source of potential worms. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need to think there might be a good nest or food there. It is just good. God, you didn't have to make me this way. You could have made me like a demon who sees goodness and beauty and hates you for it. Why did you make me like this? I'm not enchanted by being, by the fact that he would share that with me every day. It takes these moments of re-enchantment. Can we, can we have a moment of re-enchantment with Jesus right here, right now? Why is it that I would love him so much that I don't ever want to advance beyond him? I don't need a new and improved model of him. Why? Because he shares with us every good thing that he has.
John tells us he shares with us a kind of life and love that have existed for all eternity and always will. What does John say? Well, he says, as for you, what you heard from the beginning, the original Jesus, must remain in you. And if, you, if what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you too will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Think of a kind of life and love that have existed since before there was a universe. A life and love shared between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus is saying, we want to invite you into that and share that with you. We want you to know what it's like to be loved this perfectly, this permanently, this completely. Now, how do we know that? Well, John in his gospel quotes Jesus as saying this. This is what eternal life is. Knowing you, the only true God, and knowing Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you know these persons of the Trinity, and you know how they love each other, and you get invited to be part of that love. That's the most perfect gift that could ever be shared with anyone. And Jesus says, I have had that since before there was a planet for you to walk on, and I want you to have it too. Who shares like that? Who does that? He does. He shares with us every good thing he has. He shares with us the Holy Spirit. Between the Father and the Son has existed this bond of life and love, and the Holy Spirit is kind of that, that bond between the two of them. And that life and that love have power in them. And Jesus says, I will share the Spirit with you. John quotes him in John chapter 15. Calls the Holy Spirit the helper. Comforter, encourager, some translations say. I will send him to you from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth. You remember when John said, um, you have this anointing from Jesus? This is verse 27 of our scripture reading for the day. And this anointing is true and is not a lie. He's talking about this verse from John's gospel. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. He poured the Holy Spirit out on his people. And he's the spirit of truth, not the spirit of falsehood. So just as that Holy Spirit has been teaching you, remain in him. Jesus is willing to share with us the same bond of life and love that has always tied him to his Father. And to be for us a teacher of truth, the helper of the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you everything you need to know about me so that you can share this life and this love forever. You won't need more than you have in me, Jesus says, because I have shared with you every good thing that I have. The fact that Jesus is like that is the only thing powerful enough to keep re-enchanting our hearts and drawing us back to him 
when new and improved Jesus shows up, when advanced teachers who say, we figured it out and everybody else has missed it. This is the only thing that will keep pulling us back to Jesus. What would a life of remaining in Jesus look like? Well, it would look something like this. So in the Olympics this summer, for the first time ever, sport climbing was an event. Probably a little too dangerous to have real people climbing on real rocks during the Olympics, so it was all done on these kind of manufactured walls. And um, three kinds of events, speed climbing and bouldering, and then what this guy is doing, lead climbing. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and confess, I, I nah, lead climbing, the walls are a little too high for me, and a bad experience on one of those before that left a scar on my arm means I'm reluctant to go there. So I do more bouldering, right, which is uh, lower to the ground. Um, well, nobody wants to get stuck. You want to advance if you're climbing. You want to climb harder stuff. And so there's a grading system, and uh, one of them is done by numbers. You start at 5.1, and then you would climb a route that's a little more difficult, 5.2, and you work your way up to 5.10, and then for some reason it becomes 10A, 10B, 10C, 10D, and then 11A, and and then somewhere along 11 or 12, the A and the B are lumped together. I don't get it, right? So I like the system that's just, it's for dummies. It's um, color-coded. The white ones are super easy. Start there. Then you do a green one. I get that. And then once you're up, then you do a purple one. And then once you do some of those, try one of these blue ones. And past that, well, kind of irrelevant right now, for me anyway. Um, Nobody wants to get stuck and climb the white ones forever. If you know there's a green, everybody in the gym wants to do that next. And if you've mastered that, you want to move to the next one. But the way you get from there to being an Olympian is not by leaving behind the basics that you started with. Even to climb the white one or the green one, you need balance. And you need an awareness of where your body is in space. And you need to summon up enough courage to be okay with being a few feet off the ground. We don't leave those things behind to advance. You just keep going deeper and deeper into those same things. Fine-tuning the balance. Fine-tuning the courage fine-tuning, going deeper into that body awareness and flexibility. And everybody who's the most advanced climber in the world would tell you that. They haven't left behind any of the core fundamentals. They just have to keep going deeper and deeper into them. That's what life remaining in Jesus is like. Remain in Jesus, John says. Everything the Holy Spirit's been teaching you from the beginning, remain in that just as it has taught you. Remain in him. Keep letting Jesus shape you. Keep letting him transform you. Keep letting him pour his life into your life so that you are changed. If you do that, you will remain with the people who believe in him. John says these advanced teachers did not remain with us. Verse 19. 
You cannot be loyal to Jesus without being loyal to a body of people who believe Jesus and trust him and follow him. You can't do this alone. And you have to remain under the life-transforming truth taught about Jesus from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning, verse 24 says, remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. We don't need new teaching. We can't advance beyond the Bible and what it says about Jesus if we want to remain in Him. We can go deeper into what the Scriptures say about Him. We can fine-tune our understanding of it, but we won't grow in Jesus while we're trying to leave the church behind and leave the Bible behind and eventually leave Jesus behind. There is a risk when you um, try to remain loyal and faithful to some one that you have known for a long time, that relationship can become ordinary. Trisha is a Coke fan, and when we were in the UK and she would order a Coke, seven times out of ten, the first question would be, an ordinary Coke? As opposed to a Coke Zero or a Diet Coke. An ordinary Coke. Like, okay, but never heard it called that before, but sure, an ordinary Coke. Nobody wants to be part of something ordinary, do they? And if somebody tells you, you know what, your church, just ordinary, your Jesus, just ordinary, that Jesus from the Bible, he's been around 2,000 years. We need something a little more contemporary, exciting, not ordinary. Listen to Jesus. And what's he going to say? He's going to say, you cannot have more life than I have to give. What's ordinary about that? You cannot have more love than what I have shown for the world and offered to share with you. What is ordinary about that? You cannot have more power than what I have as the resurrected, ascended, glorious king of all the universe. And I have chosen to express that power primarily through weakness. What is ordinary about that? If that was so ordinary, we would see more powerful people loving others. We would see fewer powerful people abusing that power. What is ordinary about that? Nothing. Give me ordinary Jesus. all the time. And John would say, yes, now you're getting it. Remain in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to remain in you. Our own hearts, we don't even need other people telling us that you're ordinary and plain and we should look for something more exciting. Our own hearts will tell us that. Jesus, we don't follow our own hearts. We don't trust our own hearts. We trust and follow you. So help us to remain faithful and loyal to you.
now and always. Amen.